Welcome to another episode of Million Dollar Stories, where we get to interview authors from all over the world. Uh, I am extremely excited about this conversation because uh, if you're a leader out there, if you have a business, um, you are responsible not just for your life or the company, but for the people who are working with you and for you. And uh, we have an individual who served our military, and it's Major General Greg Martin, wrote a book called Bipolar General, My Forever War with mental illness. And I want to give you a quick little summary on this. Now, this is pretty pretty special. Um, pull this up here. I'm going to read the summary for you guys, just so you know who this individual is. And uh, Major General Greg Martin cut a striking figure in the Army. Athletic, quick-witted, devout, and studious. He was a natural leader. Thanks to his engineering and leadership know-how, Martin was chosen to lead the thousands of combat engineers who paved the way for a hundred thousand army troops to battle their way to Baghdad in 2003. Only years later would he learn how the pressure of organizing dozens of simultaneous life or death missions each day altered the biochemistry of his brain. So major general Greg Martin, I know you told me to uh, just call you Greg Martin, but First off, thank you very much for your service, and I really appreciate you being here. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, let's start off with the genesis of the book. What made you write this book? Did you realize that you know many other guys would really benefit from what you learned about yourself and your journey, and that's why you put it down on a piece of paper for the world to read? Yes. I went through an excruciatingly destructive experience that you know it, it basically killed my career put me in the hospital, put me in crisis, and almost killed me. Um, and I said, you know, once I started my journey to recovery, I said, why hold this secret? Why, why not tell people and share my lessons learned and experiences? Because if I do, I can save lives. People can literally learn from the lessons and the experiences that I and my family went through, and they can save not only their own life, but maybe that of a loved one, a friend, or a work colleague. So it's all about helping people. Well, I read a book by Dr. Jordan Peterson. Are you familiar with him at all? Yes. He, uh, he really outlined something in my life that um, nobody was able to articulate like he did. And I went through, I guess, school and I was 22, 23 years old. I didn't care about reading. I didn't care about writing. I really wasn't in tune with anything. But when I started a business, it was like my brain altered. It did change. And I started to become more fascinated with history. And I became more developed in certain areas. And he really explained how when you put yourself in very stressful situations, your brain chemistry does change. There are certain parts of your brain that light up for the very first time. And I would assume this is what your book is about, that the moment you put yourself in very scary situations, something happens to your brain and you are no longer the same person. So is there anything that you uh, learned that could be eye-opening for our viewers? Well, just what you just said is really important. Um, so for me, I had a genetic predisposition for bipolar disorder. It was unknown, unrecognized, un undiagnosed, and I had it for years and decades. But the thing that made it turn into actual bipolar disorder was a triggering event. And the triggering event for me was leading thousands of soldiers in combat during the Iraq war, where the pressure, the stress, 
the euphoria, the thrill, the, you know, making, you know, complex decisions on the move, unanticipated problems, life and death decisions, you know, all over the battlefield. And what it did is it, it, it triggered my bipolar disorder and I shot into a state of mania, but it was a high performing mania where I felt like Superman. Wow. I felt fearless, uh, bulletproof. My mind worked in a way that it had never worked before. And that goes to what you said. I mean, I mean, the sharpness and the laser focus and the creativity in my mind was unbelievable. It was just extraordinary. And I also had a real happiness and joy about everything I was doing in Iraq, leading the soldiers. So I would say you're exactly right with what you said about uh, Gordon Peterson. Yeah. And, and so... I guess it comes down to, they say IQ doesn't really change that much from whenever you're young to when you're old. And the way to keep your IQ up, they say, is through physical fitness. And you can't really do much to change it. But I guess you can open the doors to certain strengths. And maybe strengths is very different than IQ because IQ, I think, is uh, can you take information in and, and be able to hold it for a very long time without much energy being spent? But with me, I don't think that um, I don't think I changed much whenever it comes to IQ, but I did change my strengths and I became very refined. And so uh, is that what happened with you that you notice certain parts about you? It's a great movie. I think it's called Limitless, where there's a chemical that you take or a pill that you take where all of a sudden parts of your brain open up and you can do things much easier and much better without uh, without a lot of energy being spent. So it's almost like you become superhuman, like you said, and this only happens once you either take a pill or number two, put yourself into a live or die situation. And maybe that brings out the best in you. Is that what you noticed that that had to happen for you to trigger the best version of yourself? Yes, absolutely. So once I was triggered into bipolar disorder and mania, the mania shot me up with unprecedented levels of energy, enthusiasm, drive, problem solving, creativity. And it was, you know, you say take a pill. Well, in a way, you are taking a pill because the thing that causes the mania is that the brain produces and distributes excessive quantities of these powerful chemicals like dopamine and endorphins. So essentially, you are taking a self-produced, organic, natural um, chemical compound, which is inside your own brain. And doctors have told me that this, the levels of mania that I was living at were much, much higher than somebody who is high on cocaine or ecstasy. Wow. Dopamine. There's a great <laughs> book called The Molecule of More. Have you ever read that book? No, I haven't. It outlines how dopamine really it, it runs everything, right? People pursue dreams and women and money because of dopamine. It, it all comes down to a chemical. So greatness is based off of dopamine levels. And the moment you mess with them, right? And some people will go towards, uh, you know, destructive vices to uh, to obtain that 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 dopamine, whether it's cocaine or alcohol or gambling. Uh, and if you can start to manufacture it on your own, whether you know you're great at a position in a company or you are born to do X, Y, and Z to serve other people, you can tap into it naturally. And all of a sudden you almost become unstoppable because you can manufacture dopamine at will internally rather than externally. Uh, so 
When it comes to bipolar, though, I really want to highlight exactly what it is. I will tell you that I've dated multiple girls that have said to me, well, I'm bipolar. I just ho hope you know, understand that. And I don't know if they really are or some doctor just told them they are. So what exactly is bipolar? So bipolar disorder is falls under, under a category called mood disorders. And what it is, it's a physical or biological flaw or illness or disease inside the brain that is, you know, deeply embedded in the cells and the wiring of the brain, the, the, the organ of the brain itself. And so what this disease or malfunction does is it causes the brain on its own to, to decide, I want to go into mania. And it then produces and distributes lots of extra dopamine, endorphins, and others, which then drives the brain and the body and the whole person up into mania, which is excess energy, don't need sleep, um, risk-taking, grandiosity, um, you know, all those, all those symptoms. And then at a certain point, it decides, well, I've been manic long enough. I'm going to go down and, and spend a little time in depression. And so the same brain, which has a disease, it, it begins to underproduce and underdistribute these same powerful chemicals, which then drives the person into depression and, and begins to shut their brain down. So, you know, energy goes to near zero. Um, they're isolated. They're, they withdraw. They're confused. They're introverted. They um, isolated and those sorts of things. And, and then it could come back up. It might stay at like kind of a, a medium state for a while where it's neither manic or depression, but then it'll probably go up either into mania or depression again. In my case, I was really fortunate that most of the, my time in either of those extremes, I'd say about 90% of the time I was in a state of mania, which means I was happy and enthusiastic and energetic and felt good and performed at extremely high levels. But when I was depressed, and lots of people with bipolar disorder spend most of their time in depression, which is terrible. It's mm. crippling. You can't, you can barely function. And, and the times that I was in depression, and I spent two solid years in bipolar hell depression, and it was horrible. I could hardly function as a human being. Gary. And so I, I'm noticing individuals being prescribed certain medication earlier and more frequently than ever before. And is it becoming more common that we're catching people with uh, bipolar syndrome or is there certain things that are causing it much like giving kids Adderall at a very young age? Or do you think it's just because people can't comprehend trauma or process it in certain ways that will trigger this um, bipolar syndrome? That's a great question. Um, I am not aware of any statistics that show an increase in diagnosis of bipolar disorder. I've read a, about a bunch of other mental conditions that seem to be on the rise and that doctors medicate people at a younger age, but I haven't seen that for bipolar disorder. Um, typically, uh, bipolar onset happens between 18 and 25 years old. For me, it was 47. So I was what they call late onset bipolar disorder. Um, but about three to 4% of the population have bipolar disorder. And, um, and, and again, it takes a, you have to have the, pre -gen the genetic predisposition and then a triggering event, you know, traumatic, stressful triggering event. Um, 
But from, from what I've seen, it's very difficult to diagnose people with bipolar disorder. A lot of times people who have bipolar are misdiagnosed with depression, yeah. which is really, really bad because then when they take antidepressants, it drives them into mania and it makes their condition worse. The, the, se- the second thing is um, th- even the best doctors have a hard time diagnosing it. Like in my case, I went in three times when I was depressed and said, hey, doctor, there's something wrong with me. I think I need help. I don't know what it is, but I feel depressed and I'm never depressed. I'm always upbeat, energetic. And all three times they said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. You're fit for duty. And they couldn't see that I had a sick brain and that I was actually suffering from bipolar disorder. And then later, I went in three times when I was in a state of uh, full-blown mania and said, you know, my boss gave me a command directive to go get a psyche valve. And I went to Walter Reed. And three times in one month, they, they evaluated me. And I had flaming mania. And they said, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. It wasn't until the seventh time that I went in that they said, oh, they were able to get some other information and piece it together and say, you have bipolar disorder. So what that tells me is it's it's difficult for the doctors, even good doctors, to diagnose because it's it's just not a clear-cut situation. What would make it much easier for them to diagnose is if the doctors made a real effort to get what they call collateral information. So when I went in to have my evaluations, if they had brought in my wife, my son, some of my work colleagues, you know, some of my close friends, and they could have had a conversation about what my life pattern looked like, and then I think they would have been able to discern, oh, this guy has bipolar disorder, but they didn't do that. The other thing with me was I was a high-ranking, successful officer in the Army, and so the doctors were intimidated by me. They looked at me and they said, what, what they would see when they looked at me is high-ranking officer, you know, successful combat leader, PhD from MIT. There, there can't be anything wrong with this guy. And all they could see was the success. And they couldn't see past the successful exterior to the fact that I had a very sick brain. Mm. So you said you realized it more so than any other time at 47 years old. And I made a post not too long ago that men who battle with depression most commonly uh, are battling with an identity issue. And uh, I believe it has to do with direction. If you lack direction, if you don't know where you want to go, the soul will automatically become depressed because it feels confused. Uh, And I would assume maybe at 47, was this a new, uh, was this a transition of a career? Therefore, it really exposed um, the problem more so than any other time? Um, I, I think that's a great um, concept that you just articulated. And I think that's really, really true with lots of people. Um, in my case, um, I think it was more because of the biological functioning of the brain because of the bipolar disorder. Um, there was a transition. I went, my onset was in Iraq, and I spent a full year in combat where I was high as a kite, manic, supercharged. And when we went back home to Germany, and we left the combat zone, all of a sudden, the adrenaline went away, the rush went away, the intensity dissipated. And so I think what you're saying is that that transition probably had a natural 
uh, it dialed back all the things going on in my brain. It, it just dialed back. It slowed down. And suddenly to go from the thrill and the pressure of war to just normal life in garrison environment um, was a traumatic change. And I think I, I think you're right. I think that probably had something to do with it. And then combined with the bipolar cycles of being up for so long and then my brain wanting to come down, I think the two of them together probably plunged me into an even deeper depression than I otherwise would have fallen into. Yeah, it's almost like all of that 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 craziness that you dealt with as a leader in Iraq and through war could have been a mask for exactly what was happening within the brain, right? So it kept the dopamine. I mean, it is the fight or flight um, instinct that was keeping you probably firing on all cylinders. But whenever it becomes quiet, that's whenever the real problem is shown to you for the first time, clear as ever. Yes. Interesting. Now, uh, another thing I've realized is that, um, you know, and maybe this does kind of fall in line, but you know, there are people out there who, uh, they, they lack direction, right? These people who are out there, maybe they don't battle with bipolar syndrome. They don't, they, they don't know that yet, but they are prone to addiction simplest, simply because like Jordan Peterson says the purposeless rat, if you ever looked into his, some, some of his studies and experiments, they found out that rats very similar to the human brain will go towards cocaine and certain activities when they're not around a community, when there are no other rats around, they do things that are bad for their body. And it's almost like they will do it um, and they it's they will do it and they will harm themselves just to keep getting that dopamine. And that what they found out is that the purposeless rat, one that has no purpose to be around other other rats, is prone to addiction. So have you noticed that individuals who battle with depression or bipolar syndrome really struggle whenever they're on their own? And therefore, the, the key is to be in a community, a, a group of people to keep them firing on all cylinders, if you will. Yes. Uh, in both points you talked about, the purpose and the people and the community are really, really critical. Um, you know, in my recovery pr- process, and then even before that, as an army officer, the one thing that I had was purpose and a mission. You know, as an army leader, you have a clear mission that everybody is focused in on and you do. And that really lifts your spirit and keeps you razor sharp and keeps you moving in the right direction. But when I and you're also around people all the time, you're, you're, you know, your platoon, your company, your battalion, whatever. And you're around a team of people who, for the most part, are fun to be with. They lift your spirits. They, uh, you know, it, it's good for your morale. And so that's what I had as an army officer. I had both purpose and people. But once I retired and I was um, from the army and I, I didn't have a job because I was too sick to work. And then I started trying to recover and rebuild my life. Two of the things that I decided I, I needed to do more than ever were number one, reestablish and rebuild a purpose. And so my purpose is very profound and it really keeps me going. It's sharing my bipolar story to help stop the stigma, promote recovery and save lives. And I do it every single day by speaking, writing, conferring, et cetera. I mean, I'm really on a crusade, a mental health crusade. And it really drives me and and raises my spirits and morale and gives me focus. The second thing is with people and community. We moved from New England to Cocoa Beach, Florida, for the sunshine, the warmth, the brightness, which is really good for your brain. Awesome. Um, Vitamin D, of course. 
yeah. And so we got here and didn't know anybody, had no friends, had to build a community of, uh, of friends and um, colleagues. And so my wife and I worked hard. We had a strategy to how to meet people and make friends and do stuff with them. And now we've got a vibrant, fun, happy network of people who are happy to be with. They lift your spirits. I mean, we party, we dance, we get together, we visit, you know, we, we barbecue, we sing karaoke. And it's, Mike, it is just wonderful for the spirit to have a group of fun friends like that. So I'm with you on both points. Purpose and people are critical. Oh, that's great. Uh, so you found you found your place and you found your community and you found your purpose. Like you said, I think I think a man is is built for struggle, right? You take away struggle, you take away their purpose. And so your journey of, you know, keeping that 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 servant mindset and helping other people break free. This is part of the hero's journey that I always talk about. And uh, you know, you 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 went from the known world to the unknown world, and that put you into all kinds of uh, uh, trials and tribulations. You found out more about yourself. You obtained the reward, if you will. But now the goal is to serve others and help them obtain the reward of breaking free from this from this th this d disease. Is that what it is? This is a disease that's out there. Yes, they call it bipolar disorder. But it used to be called manic depressive illness, and many psychiatrists call it uh, bipolar disease or bipolar illness because that's really what it is. Wow! And so, what would you say to people out there who may be listening that um, resonates with your message? Whether they're forty-seven years old and they're starting to realize things about their brain, they don't feel the same way. What's your uh, What's your remedy? What's your solution? Number one, if you think there there might be something going wrong in your in your brain or with your mind, go see a medical professional. Get evaluated. Go check it out. And when you go, bring your spouse or you know a, 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 an adult child or a good friend, um, so that you're not alone and you can have a more informed dialogue. And the and the doctor can capture what they call collateral information about mm. the patient. So go get help. Um, if you, on the other hand, see it in somebody else, like maybe you think you're fine, but a family member, a friend, a work colleague is having problems. I mean, I would talk to them as a friend, very supportive and compassionate and say, hey, I'm noticing some changes in your behavior that are troubling to me. Here's what I'm seeing. And, you know, I did a little research and, and this looks like it could be bipolar disorder or whatever. Um Let's go see a doctor and I'll go with you because I'm your friend and I care about you and we'll get it checked out. And hopefully there's nothing wrong. But if there is, it's better to know and then be able to deal with it than to be have it unknown. And, and the, the person has a choice to either go get help or not get help. If you don't get help, there's a very good chance that these mental disorders will lead to destruction of marriage, family, career, addiction, homelessness in prison and death. That's a very likely outcome with untreated bipolar disorder or other mental illness. But if someone does go get help, there's a very high probability that they'll be able to live a happy, healthy, purposeful life. So I would just encourage people to, you know, go get help and don't let the stigma stop you because the stigma is based on fear and ignorance. And they are it's so destructive because it prevents and intimidates people from getting help. And I feel really lucky that when I got my diagnosis in uh, November 2014, 
I basically thanked the doctor, said, thank you. Now I know what's wrong with me and I'm going to own this. I mean, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm not going to be stigmatized. It, it's a real thing, like as if I had diabetes or cancer or heart disease, only it's inside my brain. So that's what I would tell people. Do you also have a warning call out to people who are putting themselves through certain situations and uh, maybe they are finding that rhythm of that manic episode uh, that really gets the best out of them? I mean, is it also a warning call to say, hey, be careful of the situations you put yourself in because you're changing the brain? It may be for the better, but it also may be for the for the the, the worse off uh, approach of the the brain kind of maybe becoming reliant on um, certain dopamine hits. For example, cocaine. I've never tried cocaine, but by doing it, I from what I've read and what I've seen from people, it just gives such an incredible flood of dopamine to the brain, which means. You will never, ever feel like that ever again afterwards. And that could be scary because if you can't ever reach that level ever again, the soul will say, oh my God, it'll never be as good as it once was. So when you are in the military, is it, um, is it also a sign to people, hey, when you put yourself through this, make sure you keep that mental health in check before it becomes a problem and be weary of certain experiences because every experience might lead to uh, a changing of the brain. Anything you could say about that? Yes. I mean, th that's right on target. Um, there, there's a theory of bipolar disorder. It's called the kindling theory, where you start very, very low on the spectrum. And so like for me, I was, I was born with a bipolar brain, but it moved very slowly up the spectrum mm. until I went into real bipolar disorder. It took years, decades. But along the way, along that journey, these really intense experiences, they were like um, little logs or, or um, twigs or sticks put on a fire. And every time I had an event, military or sports or, or social or otherwise, it was another uh, stick or log on the fire. And the fire over the years got bigger and bigger and bigger. And until it went into real bipolar disorder and full-blown mania. And so I didn't know this. I mean, I had no idea that, that this is how it worked. I, I just learned a lot of this stuff recently since I wrote the book. But um, being aware, as far as your own mental health, that when you go through these really intense, traumatic, stressful, sometimes very pleasurable experiences, uh, sometimes really scary, it is changing your brain. It's changing who you are. And, and if you if you uh, if you happen to have the uh, the the bipolar gene, it is driving you up that spectrum towards bipolar disorder, and um, and so the more of these things that you experience, the more you're going to be susceptible to more of it in the future, and 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 so um, your your brain uh, can only really handle so much. Um, you know, one of the things I, I heard a statistic from the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, we, we said earlier that about three to four percent of the population has bipolar disorder. But NIMH says 25 percent of veterans have bipolar disorder. Oh, Think about it. 25 percent. I mean, that's unbelievable. But so, you know, why would it be so many? But when, when you think about it. The average age of onset for everybody is 18 to 25. 
Well, that's the same years that people come in the military, 18 to 25. Um, the kind of people that the military wants are exactly the kind of people who are showing the early stages of bipolar, lots of drive, tons of energy, lots of initiative, enthusiasm. So you're bringing in people who already have a predisposition towards bipolar disorder. Then they come in the military and then undergo stress, trauma, deployments, combat. And, and so then you have the triggering event and it continues, this stress continues for the years they're in. And so, uh, and then if you look at the more, uh, the more super dangerous levels like the Navy SEALs and the Army Rangers and Delta Force, the Special Forces guys, they even have more, a higher level uh, than, than the average Joes do. And it's because of what they go through and it's actually a lot of them. I've talked to a number of special forces guys and, and, you know, they were really interested in my story of my bipolar disorder. And they said they think lots of their colleagues in special forces also have bipolar disorder, also shoot into mania and that the mania helps them drive through the danger, drive through the fear and to get the job done against, you know, all odds. So I thought that was really interesting. And, and I, I wanted to try to do some research and find out more about the level of bipolarity in, you know, the military and the veterans community. Mm. Is it like a genie out of a bottle uh, philosophy where once you change the brain, there's no way of changing it back. Right. And so to fix it, I, I don't know what the solution is, but uh, it, are pills necessary at a certain point or is it more personal development or just understanding how your br new brain works, if you will? I'd say it's some of all of that. Um, you know, when I I've, I've been on the road to recovery and it's a it's a journey because the bipolar disorder will never go away. I'll always have it. It'll be with me for life. It can always come roaring back and kill me. Um, but so the keys to um recovery or stabilization and management are number one, you have to get your brain chemistry straight, squared away. And that is, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time through medications, which I rely on medications. I have heard of people taking, you know, natural solutions that have had success, but the vast majority are, are medications. Number two, the second thing, so once you get your brain chemistry straight, then number two is therapy talking to a trained therapist to deal with and understand and figure out what your triggers are, what your agitation is, you know, what can spark you to go up into mania, what can trigger you into depression. So therapy is really important. Um, third is healthy living, just a healthy lifestyle, healthy diet, plenty of exercise, lots of sleep, water, low stress. And those three are necessary, but they're not sufficient. What you, what you have to do is anchor them into what I call the five P's. And we talked about two of the P's earlier, but the five P's are first is purpose. You need a purpose, a mission to drive yourself forward. Second, you need people, a community, a network to make you happy and have fun. Third is live in a place that you want to live, that can you can be with the people you want doing the things you want to do. And so we found that here in Florida. Um, fourth is perseverance. You have to have the will to win, the fighting spirit that you're never going to give up, that you're you're going to do battle with this disease and you're going to live a healthy life and you're not going to let it crush you. And then finally, the fifth P is presence, which is in your mind, uh, being able to 
get outside of your own mind and think objectively about your own thinking. And the fancy word for that is metacognition. And metacognition just means you can objectively analyze your own thinking and save yourself from lots of problems and, you know, misinformation, which your own mind produces. Wow. That's, that's a great little takeaway there. Five Ps. And that's all outlined in your book, I'm assuming. So yes, great there. And when you said presence, I thought you were going to say peace. And the reason why I was thinking of that, because while you were talking, it made me think of, I believe most men um, will stop where they find peace, right? Is it fame? Is it money? Is it power? I think most men, if they find a place of peace, that's where it feels like everything's in balance, right? And this, maybe their sleep is intact. Uh, maybe they are able to, um, feel good about themselves. Maybe they have found their purpose. They are uh, proud of the people around them and they are, they know their path. They know who they are. So peace, I thought was going to be uh, on there, but do you believe that most men, whenever they're on their path will stop and always pursue peace more than anything else? Is that because When you're at peace with yourself, you sleep better, you look better, you talk better. I mean, Everything is based off of that. If you're at peace with yourself, people sense it. Do you agree with that? Yes. I, I think that that's something that, you know, the human mind and the soul and the spirit naturally seeks and migrates towards. And when you when you find it, it's a really great spot to be at. So, yeah, I, I think that's really meaningful. When you were leading those men into battle, um, and it brought the best out of you. Is there any quality that stands out that you notice other generals or other leaders um, portray and therefore you adopted that made you a great leader that some of our viewers would like to adopt and uh, apply to their own life? Yes. First is to completely get your head wrapped around the mission, you know, to understand the details, the ins and outs, the ups and downs of the mission itself and completely understand it and be able to visualize it in time and space. I think that's really, really important. Number two, in, in, uh, in, 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 in without that, you can't quickly make good decisions and, and people's lives are depending on you on the battlefield. The second big thing is compassion in really caring about the lives of the soldiers and their families. So, you know, their lives are in your hands. And so you have to care about them and, you know, look out for their welfare, make sure they have the right equipment and the right training and, and the right, um, everything that they, you can possibly give and provide for them so they can do their job efficiently and stay alive and not get injured. So that's, that's really number two. Uh, number three, I would say is this idea of effective communication and effective communication is it's talking and listening, but it's also being able to what they call in the army battlefield circulation. So the commander, the leader has a, has a responsibility to move around the battlefield to all the key nodes and hubs and mission sites to see physically with their own eyes what is happening at this critical mission site. Are we doing okay? Do we need more resources? Do I have too many resources that I can shift to some other mission? And, and so the combination of moving around the battlefield, uh, circulating, talking to people, listening to people, 
and then being able to pull it together and have informed conversation and dialogue with, with the whole command to include the subordinate leaders, I think that that is absolutely critical. So those would be those would be my my big three. Know the mission completely, take care of the people, and number three, um, see and communicate. Great. And uh, whenever I was in the corporate world, one of the things that um, really kept me up at night is that I was half in, half out. And, uh, you know, I couldn't go all in on my startup business because I still had this corporate job. And it was my dream to just have this one identity that I was an entrepreneur. And I've met with many military people who maybe go through military for four years, eight years, whatever, 20 years, and then they wait until the next chapter of their life to start over. And that usually leads to some type of disaster because they are in a world of confusion. Who am I? What am I supposed to do here? What I was really good at is in the past. But the ones who succeed are the ones who plant seeds while they're in the military for the next life, for the next chapter once they leave. And so that may feel like it's... um. It, it it's hurtful for the spirit because you're kind of half in half out, if you will. But the moment that you can go all in on the next chapter, it seems like that can set you free. So what would you say to those people out there who are maybe in a corporate job or the military or doing something right now that will have an expiration date so they can set themselves up for success in the next chapter of their life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, as you're in the, the job that you're in, you realize that it's going to come to an end, whether you're whatever job you have, corporate, military, what have you, it's going to end. And so already you should be thinking about a transition into something, something else. Um, and, and I think doing an inventory of, you know, what am I really good at and what do I love to do? You should be keeping track of that in your current position. And then have have it like a, a map or a chart that you can you can see. Okay, my time in the military is going to be over in X number of years. But then when I go into something else, I want it to have qualities that I'm really good at and that I'm really passionate about and I like. And you can do your homework, and, and, and there's you know there's tools to do this sort of thing, and you can begin to figure out like what what. Um, what fields, what professions, what type of work would I be best suited to go into and start planning ahead and have, you know, have open conversations with people and network and, you know, don't be afraid to tell people, like, if you think you want to be, you know, the, your skills and like, for me, my, my skills and passion were to be a, a college president. And so I had no qualms about talking to college presidents and getting advice and getting their card, visiting their campus and finding out how they do business and what they learn. And so I had a plan that that's what I would do. And it, it blew up with the bipolar disorder because I got so sick and my life collapsed that I couldn't do it. Um, interestingly, <laughs> the thing that I'm doing now is this bipolar crusade. And, and so that was something that unknowingly I was practicing and doing you know, unbeknown to me. So I'm, I'm really, the medical community calls me an expert by lived experience on bipolar disorder. So med schools, doctors, all these health people, they pull me in because I've lived with it and I've written about it and talked about it. And so I, I guess, you know, going back to your point, 
I've sort of gradually migrated into this whole bipolar career, um, you know, unknowingly, accidentally, but it actually kind of worked for me. It's it's very much in alignment with uh, your mess becomes your message, right? The right. problem that you faced the most became your identity. And therefore, if you overcame that, if you slayed that dragon, you become known as the dragon slayer in that area. And I think that is the beautiful part about this. When you break the mold and you accomplish something that most people want to accomplish and you write a book about it, it creates an identity. And now people are coming to you probably with questions and uh, you're providing advice that's not only just setting them free, but changing their legacy forever also. Right, exactly. Phenomenal. Guys, he did recap uh, what's in his book here, but I just want to touch on it again. Purpose, people, a place that you love to live, right? That's significant. When I started to come home to my apartment and felt like, man, I love coming home. I felt right. And so I'm glad you said that. Perseverance is the fourth one and presence. You know, have the presence in mind of um, that you are, and I think that leads to that you are, uh, on the journey, but you're at peace with yourself. God, that's great. Um, outside of your own book, is there one that you recommend to our audience that maybe changed your life, got you to fall in love with uh, mental health or maybe military um, uh, strategies in general? Um, there's a book called A First Rate Madness, Uncovering the Links Between Leadership and Mental Illness by uh, a professor um, of psychiatry named Nasir N-A-S-S-I-R, Gamey, G-H-A-E-M-I. He teaches at Tufts and Harvard. It's a phenomenal book. He does about a dozen case studies of famous leaders, and he, he analyzes them psychiatrically, and he comes to the conclusion that people, leaders who have some level of mental illness or disorder tend to perform better in a crisis situation than their, quote, normal peer. And people who are uh, have no mental disorder, in a time of peace and calm, they will tend to do quite well. But in a crisis situation, they don't measure up to where their their um, mentally mentally ill um, you know peer does. And he gives examples. I mean, Winston Churchill, William Tecumseh Sherman, Ted Turner, um, Franklin Roosevelt, John Kennedy. Um, and, and on and on. It's a, it's an incredible book that really opened my eyes towards my own condition. And it helped me to understand how bipolar disorder made me so much better as an army leader. It really helped me understand it. And then Professor Gamey um, has become kind of a mentor to me. And he has, uh, he actually read the entire manuscript of my book. And he, you know, made edits and stuff to make sure that it was medically and psychiatrically 100% correct. Um, so he's really an awesome guy. Mm. It's wild how you say that. It is a superpower, right? It made you great at your job. And while you're talking, it makes me think of Patton. I've done a little bit of research on Patton, but uh, ever since I've watched the movie, I thought, man, he's just built for war, right? There are certain people right. who are made for that, um, for that part of uh, the human experience. And maybe individuals like him battled with bipolar sy syndrome, but uh, nobody really knew it back then, right? Um, absolutely. So Patton, you, you named it. I mean, he was, he was made for war yep. and he was, you know, superhuman commander, but he almost certainly had manic depressive illness 
or bipolar disorder. Um, and when you watch the movie, if you if you read if you took five minutes and said, okay, what are the symptoms of bipolar disorder, and then watch the patent movie, you'll be like, check, check, check. I mean, it's it's completely. He is so totally bipolar. It's it's really phenomenal. The other great leader is uh, Teddy Roosevelt, also uh, almost certainly bipolar disorder. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's it, like you said, it's it's a superpower in certain s- situations and it's a weakness others. But if you lean in on it, you can a- achieve greatness. And that's what Patton has done. I mean, and Teddy. Roosevelt. Yes. Wow. Awesome, man. Um, Is there a way that people get in, can get in touch with you easily, whether it's social media or a website that you recommend? Yes. Um, my website is www.bipolargeneral.com. And there's tons of information, articles I've written, interviews, podcasts, et cetera. And when you um, uh, and you can also get to me, uh, my email on, on the website. And the other thing is the landing page has got three different uh, ways you can order the book Bipolar General. You can uh, click on the Amazon link, Barnes and Noble or the Naval Institute Press and, and go ahead and, and, and order a book, which is the book is doing extremely well. Uh, it's selling like crazy around the world. Um, it's being translated into Chinese and uh, Portuguese down in um, Brazil. Um, it, it's really incredible. And, and I, the feedback has been so positive and encouraging. I think it really is uh, helping to save lives. Absolutely. I mean, it's got uh, 143 reviews on Amazon already. It's picking up speed. You got the Audible version out there. Uh, guys, check it out. And and. It's really well done. Bipolar General, my forever war with mental illness. Uh, I commend you for this mission that you're on. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you very much for your service for the military. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Great show. Your questions were fantastic. And I really enjoyed it. Well, I'm a big fan of understanding how the brain works. I think if you can uh, get your mind under control, you can get your life and your finances and your fitness under control. So it all starts with the mind. And that's why I love this message. So guys, Bipolar General, pick it up today. Remember, a million dollar book will lead to a million dollar life. Right on.